Hi, y'all. Happy Friday. It is November 22nd, Friday. Welcome to Windshield Time. Welcome to Windshield Time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a non-technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin, blockchains, crypto, and digital assets for busy working parents and folks who are curious about these new technologies. Today, myself and our guests talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do, because what part of your life does money not touch? Mm-hmm. Amen. This podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your total and complete absolute responsibility. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, yeah, we're uh, on the cusp of 2020, season two of Winchell Time. Kind of getting scared. We got to uh, get on Tatiana's show to kind of kick off the uh, you know year two uh, of uh, season two of Winchell Time. And oh, yeah. so we need to get that scheduled. Do you mind getting that scheduled with Tatiana? Yes, sir. And also the proof of love. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. On proof oh, of okay. love. We can talk about how much we uh, adore each other and also fight on air. On air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, again, today's Friday. Happy Friday, y'all. I'm in a great mood, even though I got uh, very little sleep last night. Uh, my name is Day. I'm formerly a sales engineer working on Wide Area Networks. Now I'm the co-host of Windshield Time. And I'm Ari, the other co-host of Windshield Time, chair of the Cascadia Blockchain Council, powered by the WTIA. How's it going? Good. Are you happy it's Friday as well? I don't know. I feel like all days are about equally challenging and fun (laughs) and wonderful (laughs) at the same time. It was nice to have breakfast with you this morning, so that was a nice change of pace. Likewise. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. How you doing, Day? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, like I said, it's Friday, and I'm just really, you know, psyched. We have a technical meet. I'm have te- I have a technical meetup I'm going to tonight. Only Bitcoin, all Bitcoin. No other mention of any other of those technologies that we listed off there in the uh, introduction. Are you wearing an appropriately Bitcoin shirt? I'm wearing an appropriately Bitcoin shirt. I am. Let's see it. Let's yeah. see it. Zip it down. Let's see it. Right there. Bitcoin on the moon. Yep, exactly. Must the stars. Exactly. How appropriate. Let's go into Satoshi Math. I checked the price of Bitcoin on the handy dandy Apple stock quoting app a little while ago. It and is looked up by BTC USD and it is coming in at $7,182. Oh man, it's lower than our first pilot episode. Uh, I guess so, maybe. I'm not sure. I just listened to it this morning. Oh, you did? Yeah, just kind of reminiscing back. Did you know that our quinoa was seven weeks old, barely seven weeks old when we first started this? Yeah, that makes sense. Can you believe it? Wow. What were we thinking? (laughs) Why would you kick off and start anything with a baby that's seven weeks old? And I couldn't even walk then, remember? Well, keep in mind, I wanted to kick this off in like January or February. Before he was born? Yeah. Yeah. So... We're a little bit behind. <laughs> Slowly catching up, though, very quickly, two shows a week. All so right. So if you convert that into Satoshis. You convert it into eight decimal points out because we're trying to figure out the number of Satoshis in one There are dollar? 100 million Satoshis, or 100 million sats, per Bitcoin in eight mm-hmm. decimal places. Mm-hmm. So we go point zero 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 seven one eight two. And, and you then, get... No, no, no. So you divide the number one, representing mm-hmm. one dirty U.S. fiat dollar, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. 
Drum roll. And you get 13,923 sats. Oh, wow. Almost 14,000 sats. <laughs> 14,000 Satoshis? Sats, yeah. Wow, you get more Satoshis for every sats. dollar right now. Yeah. If you can't tell, I'm trying to lean you towards saying sats. Satoshis. <laughs> sats. Satoshis. All right. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's, uh, that's a good value in the eyes of some people. Um, I was checking Twitter uh, a little earlier, and apparently a lot of people are freaking out about the big dip. Because last night I was up around three or four or something like that when oh. it dropped down into uh, the the 7,000s, like $7,050. Wow. So I'm Honey. looking for a little bit more blood in the streets. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, but I'm looking for a little bit more blood in the streets, as the old school legacy uh, financial traders used to say. And then uh, I'm ready to pull the trigger and um, and uh, go swimming in some blood. <laughs> That's terrible. That's so terrible. That's really terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking at now. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, man. Vicious. I'll be a vult- true vulture capitalist when I'm saying I'm looking forward to swimming in some blood in the streets. Terrible. Just terrible. I just don't even know what to say. <laughs> I can't even believe that came out of my mouth. <laughs> I thought you were the nicest human ever. I don't know where this is coming from. It's a savage, savage world, sweetie. Sweetie. All right, so a few things have uh, come up. Um, just to do the events really quick, December 10th. Yep, our final community happy hour sponsored by the Cascadia Blockchain Council is coming up on December 10th, 4 p.m. at the WTI office on 8th Avenue North in South Lake Union. And they are a sponsor of the podcast. The WTIA is a sponsor of the podcast. They represent the Washington Technology <laughs> Industry Association, powering over 1,100 technology companies. They create basically what you call community as a service, help you with events, help you with your 401k and health benefits. And they also help create one collective voice as we talk to policymakers, investors, and innovators alike. Awesome, awesome. And then before the December 10th event, December 5th, we are headed to prison out in Monroe, Washington. Yeah, thanks to Leonowski, our previous podcast guest. I would definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't yet. It was literally a, such an eye-opening show. So we're going to be visiting with him and his prisoner cohort over in Monroe's correctional facility on December 5th. I think we had to go through a whole bunch of like security and clearance checks. And I think we're all in the clear now, thank God. Yeah. And December 5th, we're actually going to be carpooling with Julie Pham of the WTI. So she heads a community and their ION program, which is all about cross-community collaboration. Like It's like government workers working with union workers, working with teachers, working with tech people, and in solving some of our city's biggest problems. So she'll be uh, exploring with us. Outstanding. And then that's going to, I think, pretty much wrap it up for the end of the year and um, events. I'm thinking you got something else? Well, I mean, just FYI, the the Cascadia Blockchain Council Steering Committee, we're doing our board meeting today. So we're meeting and talking about the direction of 2020. We have a lot of learnings and a lot of accomplishments for 2019. So we'll be sending that update out in our next newsletter. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, make sure you do. We'll put it in the show notes again. Or and you can just reach out to Ari directly <laughs> in a tweet. Yes, of course, at Ari in Seattle. 
And then also on December 9th, uh, several of us from the uh, Cascadia Blockchain Council will be going down to Olympia for our final Ooh. policymaker roadshow where we're going to be talking one-on-one with several policymakers, senators, House of Representatives, their staff, educating them about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So that's going to be a full day adventure with you know tons and tons of follow-up activity, but we're really excited about that. And then over the next several weeks, we're closing out our final uh, investor roadshow We've been doing tons and tons and tons and tons of these meetings. So, so many learnings. Um, The community is really, really positive overall. And so, lots to report back. So, don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and come to the community happy hour. Outstanding. Okay. So, uh, we're going to land the plane here on the introduction to the main show. So, we're landing the plane here on the solo interviews that Ari did in Las Vegas at WCC Coin Agenda Money 2020 this past uh, late October 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, this is Tron Black and Sean Owen, mm-hmm. uh, two figures who are, I would consider them insiders yeah. into this business and this sector that we're in. Yeah. And so I, I did a preview of the first 15 minutes of the interview that you did. Uh, you did fantastic on the sound quality, <gasps> at least on the 15 minutes. Thank I'm not you. sure how the rest of it went, but yeah, it sounded really, really good. Thanks. And so looking forward to kind of cleaning it up a little bit and uh, pushing it out there. But uh, I had a couple of thoughts as I was going through. Uh, this idea has been popping into my head a little bit more recently, but I'm really hoping that with all this immutable data that's being put into all these different blockchains around the world, that mm-hmm. people are also thinking ahead and building in the tooling and infrastructure necessary uh, or whatever magic is necessary to do searches. Because mm. if you have gigs mm. and gigs terabytes. of terabytes of data that you need to search through and you're looking for one piece of immutable data, uh, I think you're going to need a really, really good search engine in order to find that piece mm. of data. Might be like a Google versus a Bing who becomes the API into that. <laughs> Ooh. Well, yeah. I, I, you know. Just my personal opinion. Mm. I hope it is a, either a kind of like an orphan stepchild to those companies you just mentioned, or mm-hmm. it's a brand new company that innovates a brand new way of doing fast, complete, crazy, amazing searches on all these uh, blockchains out there. Mm-hmm. And so, more opportunity for new companies out there to enter this space is what I'm what I'm kind of looking for. Yes, for sure. And then this interview was really good because I was originally supposed to meet with Tron Black. Um, he's a partner in Medici Ventures, but he's also uh, one of the heads for Ravencoin. He's the lead de- developer, he said. Yeah, yeah. And so we were uh, talking, and then suddenly Sean always walked by, and I was like, hey, Sean, what's up? You know, because we had worked together previously and traded notes, and he was actually a really good, helpful mentor during uh, the ICO that I went through. And so uh, they were like, hey, you know, we're working together. I was like, what? Tron and Sean are working together? They are like, yeah. Actually, <laughs> Tron and Sean, Sean is using Tron's uh, blockchain uh, technology. Coin, yeah. yeah. I was like, what? And so we decided, hey, why don't we just do the podcast together? And so it was very serendipitous. And uh, they were kind of riffing off each other. So it was very interesting to see their interaction. And you could see the partnership and relationship between the two of them. Just really, really nice, solid guys. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so the other thought that I had was that because of the description of Ravencoin Mm -hmm. and that 
particular specific blockchain, mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking that because it doesn't take a super developer coder level to issue tokens, mm -hmm. that we should experiment, you and I, do a working yeah. session, laptop to laptop, facing yeah. each other, and basically create our own tokens <gasps> uh, and just put Dairy them out there token. into the world. Oh, maybe you could do a dairy token and I could do a windshield time token okay. uh, just to play around with the stuff and really, really walk the walk the talk that we do, you know. Uh -huh. So uh, that, I think that would be a really good exercise. Amen. And then the other uh, piece of news that I wanted to bring up really quick was uh, yesterday's announcement from uh, our very own Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, uh -huh. the, he announced the <laughs> Cyber Truck, which is... Amazing looking. Looks like a moon moon truck Hummer thingamabobber. Apparently, it was supposed to be. If you look at one of the pictures that shows the chassis, it's all basically like one big piece of steel that's structurally, you know, near perfect. It's like an engineer's wet dream. It's, it is. It really is. Because <laughs> when I first looked at it, aesthetically speaking, I was like, "What? Uh, what?" <laughs> I was. <laughs> I mean. I mean, what it reminded me of was the first reaction that I had when the Hummer came out mm -hmm. many years ago, mm -hmm. that big, big monstrous Giant truck. Mm -hmm. And and so this is the uh, evolution, much better, 10 times, 100 times better evolution of the Hummer massive Tesla. vehicle. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the performance ratings on it are amazing. It's and actually very it's, accessible too. Like I think you said it was like $100 down or something. Well, you put $100 down as a deposit Deliveries aren't going to happen until 2022, which I was saying in Twitter mm -hmm. is great timing because after 2021 December, yeah. we should see the price of Bitcoin over $100,000 <laughs> of Bitcoin. Says Anthony Pompliano. <laughs> well, says a lot of people, oh, a whole yeah. bunch of people. Plan B, which oh, yeah. is uh, at 100 oh, trillion, trillion USD, yeah. the uh, pseudonymous figure on Twitter. Yeah. And so, in those terms, uh, you can get a all-wheel drive Tesla Cyber Truck for half a Bitcoin, about fifty grand. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, at first I was like taken aback, but then after I started looking at the engineering photos and specs and everything, it's got seven hundred, seventy-five hundred um, pounds of towing capacity. Oh my god! It's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you better put your name down fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go do that. And so we'll go ahead and go straight into the interview that Ari did solo again mm -hmm. with Tromback and Sean Owens. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. Yep. Our other sponsor is CoinMe. CoinMe, one of the best on-ramps from cash to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Check them out. They have a wonderful partnership with Coinstar. Actually, they just announced this week that they opened up a hundred, more than 100 ATM-type kiosks in Denver. Denver! Yeah, My so city. they're literally opening up new cities week after week. I think there's also another announcement coming out today that Ohio just opened up hundreds of new machines. Last The other week, it was like Chicago, hundreds of machines. So uh, these guys are like... <laughs> <laughs> really it, working hard and it's only i mean just more and more machines uh that are possible to open up for this kind of direct on-ramp from fiat into bitcoin because not only uh, does coinstar have something like twenty-two thousand machines worldwide yeah. this is multi-country multi-continent but then there are atm networks out there yeah. that have something like 50 60 000 machines globally yeah. So ATM machines in the banking world, uh, traditional legacy world, are e literally everywhere. Yeah. So here we go. 
making digital currency easier and accessible to everybody and everyone. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners. Thank you to everybody that supports each other in this community. We're in the holiday season of thankfulness and just they wonderful coming blessings. up next week. Yeah. So, you know, take time, take a few minutes every day to just really appreciate where we are in life. Whether you have, you know, or don't have, um, I think we can all take a step back and just appreciate and be have grateful for what you have. Yep. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Be nice to each other, y'all. Thanks for listening. Together we rise. Thanks. Bye. All right. Hi. So this is Ari sitting in the Cosmopolitan Hotel with Tron Black of Medici Ventures. Say hi. Hello. And Sean Owen. And what are you working on? Uh, Equa. Hello. What we're going to do today is uh, talk to Sean and Tron. And I think it was really um, serendipitous today because we uh, I was meeting supposed to meet with Tron and then uh, learned that Tron and Sean were working together. And so we thought, oh, let's record together and hear the story. So how about Tron? What's going on with you and Sean? And a little bit about why you're together. And then we'll go backwards into like who's Tron and who's Sean. Sounds good. All right. All right. So I'm, I'm Tron. I'm the lead developer for Ravencoin, which is a platform for... Uh, asset issuance. What that means is, is you can create tokens. Uh, so if you've heard of Bitcoin, uh, you can create your own token. Uh, you get to choose a name, you get to choose how many, you get to choose uh, how divisible, whether it's you can send them you know, an entire one or a fraction of one. And you say issue and then you have them. You're the proud owner of anywhere. You get to choose how many from 1 to 21 billion. Now you're the owner. And those tokens can be used for anything you want. If you want to make a lemonade stand and make them gift cards you know, or, or a, you know, represent a cup of lemonade, that's great. If you want to have them represent a share of a lemonade company, uh, you can do that. You know, check your local jurisdiction laws, but uh, you can do that. Uh, you can make them worth uh, you know, a piece of gold. You can make them worth anything you want, an hour of your time. Uh, you know, some time for babysitting. Uh, you, you know, make a little local currency in your school. Uh, really, it's up to you. The tokens move and transfer and counterfeit proof like Bitcoin is. And, and so it's a platform and it's really, really easy to use. We have mobile apps. You can do it on Android. You can do it on iOS. You can do it on Windows, Linux, Mac, whatever computer you have. Uh, you can create those. And, and it can be, yeah, so that, that's really the, the platform that I'm working on. And uh, what, what is the problem that you're solving? So, like, why, why is this so hard without Ravencoin and your platform? Yeah, so, so if you're familiar at all with kind of what happened in 2017, there was kind of this explosion of ICOs and people were selling shares of companies uh, via, uh, you know, so for Bitcoin or for Ethereum, they were selling shares of, of, of a project or, mm-hmm. you know, they create a white paper and say, you know, join the share of the thing. In the U.S., that, a lot of that was kind of not allowed. Uh, some of them still exist in other jurisdictions, but that wasn't allowed. Um, so we had a platform that was similar, but it also gives you some additional capabilities, which is to say you can also put in when you create your token, mm-hmm. you can say, what does this token represent? And you can put in paperwork that says, hey, this is, uh, you know, this, this token represents, and you can put the actual information. You know, it could be a movie, a video, a PDF, you know, file that says what the token is, you know, represents. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a unique feature of the platform, but really it's for uh, anybody who wants to create tokens. So tokenization is like a big thing right now, uh, mm-hmm. the ability to tokenize anything. You can even tokenize uh, artwork, for example, and own a share of artwork where somebody else is you know, holding the art and renting the art and things like that. Okay, but for our audience, like why do I want to tokenize 
isn't it fine to just have the art as it is or yeah you can for someone who wants to own let's say let's say the art uh is worth we'll, we'll say um fifty thousand dollars or something like that that yeah. that would be fine for your your millionaires yeah. uh, for people who aren't millionaires you might want to own ten dollars worth of that art and so a tokenization would be a fraction of the art and that's possible today now so. oh so i can own ten dollars worth of a, a big expensive piece of art correct yep oh okay so i get why i want to tokenize and so you're using uh, the blockchain technology to validate and make sure that it's secure and private and all that good stuff that blockchain provides. Correct. So just like you would own a, you know, like a, some Bitcoin or some, uh, you know, that kind of thing, you would own the tokens that would represent that share of the art as an example. Uh, I know it's a little bit, you know, I speak in sort of these generic terms, but that's because there's, there's so many things you can do with this platform that, you know, it's kind of like saying, what can you do with a computer file, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of different things you can do. You can make movies and, and Word documents and things like that. It's similar with this platform. You can, you can create these tokens that represent different things. And what it represents is really up to you. Now you can transfer them around between people, right? It could represent an hour of babysitting. It could represent a cup of lemonade from a small lemonade stand. It can rep- really represent anything. And so it's hard to talk in very, very specifically exactly what you'd use it for because it has so many applications and so many use cases. The specific one we're going to talk about today with, with Equa is potentially shares of companies. And you know, I'll, let, I'll let Sean talk more about that, but that's, uh, you know, that's one of the, one of the you know, large use cases or potential use cases. So would rights management be a way to uh, kind of summarize this tokenization, being able to manage uh, people's rights to art, rights to cups of lemonade, rights to a portion of X, Y, or Z? Yeah, I think of, uh, so I think of rights management a little bit more like, do I have, do I have rights to listen to this music? That kind of thing. Whereas okay. this is like, I, I actually own the token that represents the share of that thing. Um, and so, and by owning it, uh, meaning I literally could transfer it to my neighbor, right? If, if they wanted to purchase it, I could transfer this over to, to someone else. Or they wanted, you know, I have five cups of lemonade and, you know, I'm not that thirsty, so I could, I could transfer two or three of them to someone else. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a, it's a transferable token. Kind of an easy way to think of it would be like a gift card, but with the ability to move it to and from someone electronically over, over the Internet. Um, Oh, and you can't really do that very easily at all today. Not really. I mean, you could take the number off of a gift card, but if once you once you send it over, uh, then someone could copy that number, and so uh, this tokenization prevents that that copying. So that that's one of the things that, that kind of the uh, up until about ten years ago, having uh, like a digital item and mm-hmm. and having that represent something was tricky because if you made a copy of it then you have two of them and that's you know in, in the world of money or in the world of value that's counterfeiting right mm-hmm. or and it doesn't work very well for value if i copy it and copy and copy and copy it then mm-hmm. then that doesn't work in a gift card if you think about it you know you scratch off one of those cards you get in the you know so you know it's good for you know cold stone creamery and you scratch off and there's a number mm-hmm. let's say three people had that number it's really whoever uses that number first and so it's a little bit different than a token whereas once i transfer it i don't have it anymore Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's kind of a difference between, but you can still use it as a gift card. It's just now you now it's a transferable gift card. All right, I totally get it. Thank you, Tron. So then, Sean, you're part of Equa. You're doing Equa now, and that's using the Ravencoin platform. Tell me how you got to that. I, th- I know you from your past previous life with Salt. So how how did you get from there to here today? 
Good question. So I think that the project deck was of is really a tool that I need, and I've looked at it from every business I've ever been a part of, and then recognized that everybody else needs it too. And it's really taking advantage of what Tron just described in not being able to counterfeit. And I kind of use a more sensational world word of truth, but when you have a, a shared understanding of what's going on in, say, your business, you you have a better ability to uh, to kind of execute on whatever it is you're supposed to be doing for your customers which is where the value is and so if you can remove administrative costs it's always it's more efficient it typically lets a product that people want and they gain kind of peace of mind from so going from being in crypto for quite a long time and recognizing the value proposition of not only immutability meaning can't counterfeit but transferability of tokenization and being a big proponent of wanting to see assets recorded and to kind of go back on that point for a second the other way you could think about it is why put the art on chain in that question is think of certificates somebody usually almost always has a certificate on the back of the painting that says this is the mona lisa and records blockchains are really good at making permanent records and so certificates tend to be something i think of or as a really good use case just so happens to be that's also how you think about titles and certificates when you own any kind of property and the one that I'm really hyper-focused on, I think is a huge use case, is ownership of companies, or broadly speaking, organizations. Doesn't necessarily have to be a taxable entity, but it definitely applies to any time you have uh, ownership rights. I'm taking it a step further and really excited about looking at rights and permissions from the kind of answering the question, what does this mean that I have this, that I own this, what do I get to do? And that's how I think about rights is what do I have the right to do? Do I have the right to take the painting off the wall or do I just own a piece of it? Do I have the right to go to the museum, you know, and get free entry because I own a piece of it? Or, you know, in company terms, it's usually do I have the right to delegate that uh, ownership to say a board? And do they have the right to go hire a CEO or do they have the right to fire? All these types of decisions. And so I'm really focused on how you can take signatures and, and associate them to decisions and then take all of that and flatten out kind of the uncertainty that comes from having counterfeit of documents. And I think it's fascinating and also really frustrating to live in a world where you have so many applications and abilities to share information every second of the day. And technically, I think you could make the argument that almost all of it is a counterfeit copy because of the way the internet propagates information. So having that sense of truth in a copy of something where everybody's looking at the same version is very attractive and kind of I'm obsessed about that. And when you think about the time it takes to search through files and folders and emails to find the latest Excel spreadsheet or the latest version of something, and then even when you find it, do you really know if that's the latest version? I mean, what if somebody else messed with it? I don't, maybe, I, who knows, it was edited, it was a week ago, and then I had a weekend and I forgot, and so I don't really know what I'm doing. People are always searching, and it's time, ultimately, that I think is the sacrifice. And if you can save time through having a faster path to shared truth, that's the value proposition. So I'm super excited about what Raven does because they have this customized tool that takes exactly what I always wanted to see Bitcoin do, which is have this layer two ability to tokenize and use the same immutable truth of that ledger. It's the same chain in a way, just a version of it that's been designed to do all the things I want to do. So I'm using it in a way that I think could be 
uh, I think I can build the user interface on top to allow people to not need to know anything, but gain all of the benefits. You guys obviously live in the future state a lot. For our listeners and for myself, where are you in this process? So I'm assuming Ravencoin and your platforms, you've been working on it and it's something usable because Sean's here uh, working on it. Uh, how long have you been working on it? Yeah, so I've been working on it about two years now, uh, but it's it's been live uh, since January 3rd of 2018. So not quite two years. It's working. You can create your tokens. You can add documents to it. Uh, it, it just it's functioning. You can you can buy Raven, uh, which is the token that kind of powers the system. Uh, you can buy that from uh, places like Bittrex and Binance and things oh. like that. So, so is it like an ERC twenty Ethereum? So it, it's it's not. So it allows you to create ERC twenty ish tokens. Oh. It is a platform for creating tokens. So when people talk about ERC twenty, they're talking about a token that's created on top of the Ethereum platform, right? Where you have to pay for transfer using ETH or gas, mm-hmm. right? Which is the uh, Ravencoin is its own platform where where you need to to create tokens you need to own raven and to transfer tokens you need to have a tiny bit of raven when i say tiny bit i mean like a fraction of a penny to move your other tokens around but it's really a competitor to erc20 in a way uh and with some real benefits uh that erc20 doesn't have and that is it you know each token has its own unique name so if you help you know if you create a token and you want to brand that token uh, or brand, you know, what you're doing with that token. No one else can have that name, and that's not true on a th- on ERC20. Multiple people could have the same name, oh, really? and the only thing that distinguishes it is a contract ID, which is like this 40 character thing. So if someone created Nike, you could have six Nikes, and you have to kind of figure <gasps> out which one's the real one, which is tricky. Uh-huh. And then also, uh, a lot of times with with ERC20, you've got this token contract ID, yes. and to figure out what it's for, you need to go to the website to figure out, you know, what does the token represent and mean. Uh, we've linked it to what's called uh, to a file in a, in a file system called IPFS, uh, Interplanetary File System. And so you can put in documents in that that say what this token represents. Uh, and that way there's this connection between the token and between the documents. Uh, and, and that's kind of a, one, of the, one of its big advantages over ERC-20. But if people who are listening in, the, in your audience that understand ERC-20, think of it, it's like ERC-20 but better. Yeah, and I want to just add a few things to that because coming from where I met you several years ago, you know, we were in a stage where Ethereum was still new and, you you know, there were people that were developers and everybody wanted to start working on creating, you know, the different tokens and things that they were going to do. And the amount of money that was spent on creating those tokens was really kind of insane. And you had to find these hyper-specialized devs that were, you know, there's only a few of them. And they were, yeah, the Solidity devs and everybody wanted to find them. So there's these kids with flip-flops, you know, digital nomads making crazy money. And it was actually not very easy. You kind of had all these gatekeepers to help you. And then it got easier and easier and easier. In a way that probably wasn't really a good thing at all, but it had to be proved kind of like, you look at it from a Moore's Law standpoint, you could go to Raven today and make something that's got way more features and attributes and ability to customize it within a couple minutes, maybe seconds, if you really know what you're doing. And there's nobody there that you have to go through. There's no code that has to be written. It's designed to do that. So we've really come a long way to have the ability on a proof of work chain like Bitcoin to be able to issue these assets that can be very sophisticated or complex in a lot of ways as far as what they mean, especially when you associate the information. That was another thing that 
chains were always not great at is being able to put enough information into the chain itself. And so having the IPFS, yeah, the file storage and other ways to kind of hash documents in to have more information, we're, it's really incredible where we're at now to be able to use this as record keeping and transfer of value. So I wanted to point out those features too, just if anybody's curious, you could play around and make you know, game tokens are ones that you're just going to throw away. You know, here, this represents my refrigerator, right? And, like, that, you can do that in a second and learn everything you need to know without having to worry about legality. If you're going to go do something where it's issuing companies, just don't sell it to anybody. Don't do that unless you're going to go get legal counsel. But the rest of it's pretty easy to play around with and experiment and learn. Interesting. So I don't want to get too technical. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But for the uh, for the blockchain newbies um, who have been learning with us along the way, this is an Ethereum competitor or ERC twenty competitor. It might be on the Bitcoin, or it's also like separate from the Bitcoin because Bitcoin's a coin, but it's also yeah. a blockchain. Yeah. So so we started actually with the Bitcoin code. So okay. so it's actually a copy of that code. So we started with that as the base. It just is a solid platform. It's tested. It's used. People know it. It's you know storing billions of dollars worth of value. So we started with that code. Okay. But we made a copy of the code, not of the blockchain. So it, you don't have you know it's not if you had Bitcoin you now have Raven. We just started with the code and then started a new chain. So it's using the same base. And then we added the ability to add tokens on top of that. Just like you could add tokens, ERC-20 tokens on top of Ethereum, uh -huh. you can add your own token on top of the Raven coin chain. And so that's, that's its uh, big thing. So we, when, we started, uh, when we started the chain, uh, you couldn't add tokens. So for, for the first about 11 months, uh, from January 3rd of 2018 to November 5th of 2018, you couldn't add tokens. And then we added uh, the ability to add tokens almost a year ago today. In fact, it was actually activating during the during the show uh, oh, last really? year, yeah. The sub-assets are really cool too. You can treat it almost like a domain and a subdomain, or you're gonna have an asset that, you know, say it represents World CryptoCon, and then you could have sub-assets underneath that that are all the different tickets for that, that are unique and only good for that, that specific um, event, right? And then they're no good. So there's a lot of really interesting, flexible things you can do that you just couldn't do before. Wow. It also has an, another feature, which is uh, we, have, we have a concept, so sub-tokens, like Sean mentioned, but we also have unique tokens, whereas if you create a token, and these are a lot cheaper to create, but if the token has a, a, the word, uh, the, the hashtag in it, meaning it has a hashtag in it, then you know there's only one of them, and guaranteed only one, uh, uh, that name. And that allows you to do things like certificate, certificates of authenticity. So you could make something like artwork, for example, and then put the hashtag and the name of the art, and then you have this token that there's only one of them. And, and so the idea is that when you sold the artwork, you'd sell this token and you would expect that the holder of the art would be hold, the holder of this token. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a counterfeit proof, digital, uh, parallel uh, thing. So it kind of sits uh, beside it that you know that you can't, you know, you couldn't copy the artwork, for example, because you couldn't and, and have two people hold that token because there's only one of them. All right, so I kind of understand. You, you want to see something? I was just going to use one other example because now we're getting excited. <laughs> uh, you know, if you think about, you know, I said concert tickets or barcodes, anything that you could think about in supply chain, people always talk about supply chain. I think that's another use case where you could have certain supply chain subdomains of that, a whole bunch of different attributes that go along with it that are based around time and you know certain parameters. And then you could have all the unique 
just serial numbers for an example to keep track of a lot of complex things with, uh, without really having to know much about blockchain. All right, so I'm going to take advantage of this stopping point to uh, take a step back. We've learned a lot about uh, Ravencoin and Equa and the problems that you're solving using this platform. Maybe the first question to take a step back is, ooh, which one do we ask? <laughs> what is money? Let's maybe start with that one. What is money? Because um, like when we're talking about tokens and this value exchange and authenticity and like, what is money in your definition, Tron? Okay, well, I have lots of different definitions. Uh, so one, one definition is just a shared illusion. So the fact that, that uh, you know, for, for example, uh, if, if I give someone a dollar, it's really a piece of paper with a picture of a dead person on it. They're going to, you know, it's a it's green rectangular piece of paper. Why, why does someone accept that, in, in, you know, for value, you know, for, for a coffee or something like that? And, and, and one of the reasons is because someone else will accept it. So as long as everyone's accepting it for a certain value, then that works. Mm -hmm. That illusion can fall apart if you look at something like Venezuela, right? Where, where it's like the, the, the amount of value for, for the paper, the, the paper starts to actually get more valuable if you weave it into a purse and sell it on eBay, as an example, right? The, the paper's been devalued that much. So that's a lot to do with the, you know, this, this has a lot to do with, you know, the, the backing of, you know, and how much, you know, taxing power the authorities and things like that behind it. If you're talking about Bitcoin, uh, you're talking about the value uh, for the first uh, about two years. There really was no value. Uh, the first value was when somebody said, hey, I'll, I'll take uh, 10,000 of these and somebody send me a couple of pizzas and I'll send you 10,000 of these Bitcoin. And so somebody ordered a pizza, Papa John's, so they sent 10,000 Bitcoin for Papa John's pizzas. That, that, I think that puts the pizzas somewhere in the neighborhood of $90 million. Uh, two pizzas, so only $45 million each. Still a lot, even for Papa John's pizza. Um, so, but originally it kind of had no value, but they were still scarce, right? So while there was a lot of them, because you could mine them fairly easy in the beginning, uh, eventually that, that uh, you know, the value continued to go up pretty soon. It was a third of a cent and then a penny and then a dollar and then it jumped up to $30 and then it dropped down to a dollar. And, and people were like, oh, this thing's over because it was at $30 and now it's a dollar and then it climbed and then it was $1,200. I mean, but it, it's really just the value that people uh, ascribe to it through the market. So it's just, uh, you know, Bitcoin, the value is set by the buyers and sellers and where they match. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Uh, today, that's about $9,500 per Bitcoin. Uh, that puts the Bitcoin market cap, you know, somewhere in the, a couple hundred, uh, well, 100, what, 150 billion, something like that. Um, so... But because people will trade it, uh, that works. And this is true for about 2,000 other coins. They all have different value, and it's really where the buyers and sellers match. So value is uh, somewhat subjective, meaning the same Bitcoin that was worth uh, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of a penny when it was traded for pizzas is now exactly the same Bitcoin uh, that is now worth $9,500 each. Uh, so it does, uh, this, this space does make you think about money a mm -hmm. lot mm -hmm. and why is something valuable? And a lot of people have different, different uh, reasons and there's, you know, discussions between Keynesians and, and, and uh, Austrian economists and things like that. Uh, but it really does make you think about uh, what value is and what money is. I like how you talked about it, like the illusion. Money's an illusion. Sean, what, how would you describe and uh, define money? 
Yeah, I really love this question. I feel like every time I answer it, I answer it probably a little bit different. And it, I agree, it's definitely something that this space uh, kind of challenges with the way that maybe you think about things uh, habitually, just in your day to day, you just do things every day and you might not even ask that question. So I think it's a great question to ask. Um, and I, I think my answer is very similar, but I'll use different words to kind of elaborate. I think it's mutually a shared agreement or mutually shared belief. And belief is definitely probably subjective for delusion either way. It could be whatever you believe could or could not be true, uh, depending on if you agree with somebody else and you have enough people to kind of back you up. Then you have this mutually agreeable kind of social contract, which is another way I think people describe some of these these intangible or abstract concepts that we all we all either are forced to or agree to live by. In one way or another, we're still agreeing. So you have the need to have a placeholder for time for value, which is another question that's great to ask, what is value? Because I think it's also, it's also a mutually shared agreement that people either do or do not agree until you find a match between two people. That's where like a transaction happens. Um, but you need to have a place to say, this was value created that I have and I don't have the thing you have so we need to be able to interact with each other and I don't necessarily know if I can do it today so I'll store it somewhere we have to all agree what is the medium we're going to store that in that store of value and that's typically what should make a very good money is the one that everybody has the most belief in the most people believe in so you have the most certainty you have the maximum amount of options to use it if you, have, if you have the most belief that everybody else believes too. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very interesting thing because at any point in time, anybody could lose their, or say, I don't agree anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you, you kind of, if you could measure that number of how many people agree or don't agree in some way, it's fascinating because that happens in markets all the time. And with money, I think people just often forget that there are multiple types of currency in different countries because we get so used to just spending the thing that it just becomes a, a, a number of accounting. It's more just like accounting. You get a receipt and you did the transaction. But it's a healthy exercise to remember that nothing is stable. Everything is always changing. And there's all these other options out there. Bitcoin is one of them. The dollar is another. Raven is one. And it's really a matter of what do people mutually agree is the best. All right, so we got definitions of what is money from Tron and Sean. Hey, you guys, your, your name's the rhyme. <laughs> so, okay, so you have your definitions of money, but here we are, very privileged in the United States. We don't really have the troubles that other countries do when it comes to, like, what is this thing? What is this shared illusion or this mutually shared belief about value and money that we have here in the United States? So maybe I'll take an even st step further back. Tron, how did you decide, because you know, we're here in the United States and we're very privileged here. What made you decide that you were gonna question this and go down this uh, rabbit hole? And what was that thing that like made you enter this, I mean, commit your life to this in such, such a big way? Yeah, um, it's funny you say it that way because that's really kind of the way it happened. Uh, I had missed kind of the, what, I, what I consider kind of my first uh, view of Bitcoin. It, it had this thing called mining. It seemed weird and, and it sounded like they were solving like this really hard puzzle that was, you know, just didn't, it seemed like a game kind of currency to me. Uh, and so I kind of missed it that time. And then, and then the next time I saw it, I, I kind of dug into it more 
and after that, and you hear this for a lot from a lot of people, just went down the rabbit hole, and that just means that it started fascinating to me to the point where I was like, I needed to learn more about it, and then there and there wasn't enough information. I'm looking and searching and reading and finding, and, and it, it really does challenge your beliefs. Uh, and we are very privileged here in the U.S., and we do have a relatively stable money system. Um, it does have a a policy of depreciating by 2%. So if you just stick your money under the mattress, the amount of stuff it will buy, uh, assuming that stuff kind of stays at the same value, when you pull it out you know, a year later, it'll be 2%. Pull it out uh, you know, multiple years later, it'll be worth less than it was. That's by policy, not by just accident. I mean, it's part of our policy in the U.S. Uh, it does challenge your, your beliefs about money. And so you start reading about this, and you kind of realize that this is a a scarce thing that it happened to, uh, if someone had told me about this before it gained a value, I probably wouldn't have believed it would work, right? So people are creating these scarce items and if they had no value at all, uh, but once it had the value of even potentially a fraction of a pizza or a penny or something, at that point it had kind of crossed this chasm and now it's just a matter of like, how much is it worth? And that continued to grow. By the time I found it, it was something you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $50 per Bitcoin or something. And I could go back in the historical record and look and see people going, oh my gosh, this thing might hit a dollar, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and, if, and I'm going to sell it all when it gets to a dollar, you know, and, and you see this a lot. And, you know, you can go back and find these in Reddit and things like that, 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 that they had a bunch of them and, and, uh, and that they would sell it all when, they, when it gets to a dollar. And it's funny because I hear that now for Ravencoin, people are like, oh, yeah, no, I can buy them for three cents, but I'm going to sell them when, I get to, when it gets to a dollar. And I just think, I've, <laughs> I've read this story before. Um, and so, uh, but, but it challenges your belief. And so I just kept reading, reading more and more. Uh, I have a computer background, so I have a computer science degree. I have a business background. I have an MBA. Uh, and, and this just challenged all my beliefs and, and, and just made me really think about money. And so I just kind of went down this rabbit hole and said, I want to be a part of this. And I've started a company and, and I you know, was already an entrepreneur. And, and so, yeah, that was, that was my, well, I mean, not everyone can see you in the audience that's listening, um, but you're not your typical, what I would think of as crypto guy, you know, millennial, 25 to 35 yeah. year old. I, I don't I don't even guess. <laughs> day, day, my other co-host is Generation X, you know, nearing 50, a little more wise and yeah. I, I'm 19. I just look really old. No, um, no, I, I, I'm a little older. Uh, so I, I've already uh, so I've always kind of been entrepreneurial and kind of on the edge of things. Uh, and, and I've and I've had the opportunity to ride uh, the the early computer thing. I was kind of programming computers before IBM had their PC. Uh, I did internet utilities and sold an internet utilities company uh, to a public company uh, kind of right before the heyday and before the market crash, the internet market crash in 2000. Um, and so I feel very uh, lucky to kind of be riding what, what I consider kind of this third wave. Uh, only this one I think is going to be uh, at least as big as the internet. This, 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 is, a, this is not a little thing like it's about money. This is like the ability to move value like uh, over the internet, like information moves over email or yeah. movies move over yeah. email and, and streaming and Netflix and all of that. This is now the ability for banking, money, value, stocks, gift certificates, everything to be able to move as easily as email. And that's going to change a lot of things. The, the, the you know, things like, um, 
the Western Union and things like that. They're the walking dead. They either adopt this or die. Banks are going to be challenged. They may stick around, but, but in order to do so, they're going to have to adopt a lot of these things, and they're going to have to be a lot more accommodating than they have been in past years. So this is really going to shift things around. They don't. Some of them know it. Some of them don't. I have a talk that I give uh, related to, uh, like, Blockbuster, for example, was very arrogant at the time. They have one store left in Bend, Oregon. Uh, and they were they were approached by Netflix uh, early on. They, they kind of uh, spurned them, and now Netflix is so much larger, and, and, and Blockbuster is essentially gone. And I think that the banks are in this same situation where they need to kind of adapt and uh, kind of shift to this new system, or, or they may not exist, or at least won't exist in the same form that they have in the past. Digital world moves a lot more quickly than the uh, physical world where you have to hold this video, VHS, yep. taper, <laughs> DVD. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, things are going to change pretty fast. And then the, the overwhelming uh, advantages over the fact that you can move this stuff worldwide around very fast, very quickly, will uh, just overwhelm uh, kind of the legacy system. All right, Sean of Equa, how did you go down this rabbit hole? We're also in the United States. If you were sitting here with me in the middle of the Cosmopolitan with Tron and Sean, you'd see Sean is not of the Generation X, I don't think, unless your your genes are really great. Oh, you are? Oh, are you Xenial like me? We're the uh, in-between millennial and between the Gen X, we're a Xenial. <laughs> how do you think about this, Sean? Oh, I've been having, I've been listening to Tron talk, and just this is another great question, and I think it goes back for me to, I think it's important to go back. I'll just tell a story of when and how I got in and why, and then, you know, I'll try to support why I still believe that same way now and how it's evolved. My kind of timing of learning about Bitcoin was right after I lost a ton of money, and it was like a period of total fear, uncertainty, and doubt in 2009 call it 2008-ish, but it really set in in 2009, where it was scary, and it didn't have any certainty that the things you thought you had were there, and it would kind of challenged everything I thought I knew, and I was like a master at bad timing, so I had bought a home, a second home at the exact wrong time, at the top of like the total peak, and you can look at a chart, and it's like actually at the very top, <laughs> and I happened to be, you know, decide, oh, I should probably go buy mutual funds in the market, you know, like right now. And so, like, I just nailed the worst timing you could have. And suddenly you're looking at your situation, you're like, okay, so I'm technically totally bankrupt. Like, I'm totally underwater. How am I going to survive? And you go into this fear mode, right? You go into survival, fight, and, fight or flight mode. And everybody kind of in the news was for sure doing that. And everybody around was doing that. And all the houses started going up for sale and things were bankrupting. And, it was not good. And so I totally empathize with people in countries where they have instability. It's nothing you would ever want in a market. I think there's a necessity to assign it just the fact, the reality that there's always cycles, but it wasn't fun. It never really is when you're on the wrong side of that, that trade. So, you know, in that exact same time, right around there, I'd been looking at gold. And the main reason is probably just because people were talking about it. And I was like, okay, well, there's an alternative I had never thought about. And Bitcoin was right after that, and it was kind of, I'd heard it was kind of like digital gold, and so it caught my attention. And I, if you really think about it, what was desirable there was a couple of things, but it was wanting to have something that can't be taken away from you. 
and you know you buy gold and nobody can come and get it they can't they have to physically come take it away it can't just disappear in your bank account right which is what happens sometimes to a lot of people so having certainty i've kind of latched onto the other thing is what is real what's true like so having kind of truth and certainty brings security and comfort which i think we all want right like i think everything is just better when you feel comfortable you feel protected you feel secure like things are going to be okay you can just go have a coffee in the cosmopolitan you know and life's going to be good so in that pursuit to understand that you know the limited supply definitely caught my attention because that's something where you think store of value okay this won't just get inflated away because that's what had happened to our dollar and that's you look at the weimark and all the other examples in history it's a real threat always to have one of the ways that mutually shared agreement can go away as if everybody starts not agreeing that this is the right number in circulation and so you have hot potato and everybody wants to get rid of it and then compounds right you have a tanking effect not good good. so (laughs) certainty truth trust wanting to have that security and protection and then ultimately i think it's freedom wanting to be able to have wealth so you can be free seems to be kind of part of the human experience for most people and being able to have the ability to be unrestricted because of that and so freedom is kind of like I get to do more I'm more free with my time or what I can do and money is one conduit of that for sure and so looking at Bitcoin originally before anybody was mentioning blockchain or anything it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when I was thinking about something that couldn't be counterfeit first of all limited supply that was really attractive and then ultimately it was this this global currency that could cross all borders and was censorship resistant, nobody could really stop it. Kind of just felt at the core, like that's the thing we should all support one way or another, something like that. We should have the ability to have money like that. That seems like a better form of money if it were to be true. And in, in those days, I didn't actually think it would be, right? I was like, maybe someday I'll meet somebody somewhere that will know what the hell I'm talking about and we can have a beer. And you know, eventually I started meeting those people and it was kind of, everybody else was like, what are you talking about? You know, and then, you get this shared belief effect, right? Where the more the network grows every day, I'm sure somebody brand new will listen to this on Windchill time and it'll be the first time they've kind of decided I should go look at that, right? Like those, those are words that I should pay attention to and go listen to. And we gain value as a community, a society, a network. Anyway, you think about it, the more there are people who share the same belief. And so there's this compelling kind of secondary part to the whole thing was watching it grow. It was like, how did this technology convince all of us to become obsessed about it <laughs> and support it? Right? That is fascinating. And it's still fascinating. And now there's just layers of layers of layers of additional uh, kind of functionality and ability on top of that that are very exciting. And so I still kind of feel the same way. I still feel that everybody should have the ability to have something that is certain, that provides security, that is trustable, that's faster, cheaper, better for all of us and to kind of open up and create a better market and society for people. Oh, very good. Very good. It's like, I feel like a lot of people in this blockchain crypto space, we're very like romantics and idealists because we're, we're fighting for like a new type of future where everybody has a chance at winning, has a chance at saving and building opportunity for themselves and their family and friends. And so maybe the common DNA for those in this space is literally that idealist, romantic heart. I, I think that's true, but I think it was true. I, I, 
have the same feelings about the internet, where, yeah, where, where totally. in the early days, where you're looking at this and going, wow, I can send something electronically, like a letter, just by, you know, so I just need them to be able to understand the technology on the other side. I can put in their address, unique address, an email address, and hit send, and now they get this letter instead of writing it out and putting a stamp on it and waiting for, you know, days and things like that. And that same kind of thing now where you're kind of like, I could send money to someone. All I need is somebody for, to understand in this other country that can do, that can use Photoshop, that uses a computer. I could pay them to do artwork. I just need to understand them to understand that if they just download this wallet, that they can get paid and I can pay them. And so we just need more people to understand that you know that all they need is this this app, and now they can receive funds and participate in this larger ecosystem and we are very privileged here but you think about uh there's a lot of really smart people and people that, had, that do have access to you know, not the same infrastructure we have but certainly you know an internet even if it's in a coffee shop etc they have the ability to to go there and to and to perform work and get paid and things like that in lots of places in the world maybe not everywhere but in lots of places and the ability to write them a check or send them a credit card very not very accessible the ability to send them value in the form of Raven, Dash, Bitcoin, etc., very possible, and and so it can bring in more people into this more privileged uh, and and help out other countries. Very good reminder. Thank you for that because uh, I'm not a coder and I wish I had been because I think as a coder and someone that can really look at the code and really understand what's going on, probably opens up a lot of more understanding than I have with my limited you know abilities today. Um, okay, so the next question is. Um, I would say on a comment. Maybe okay, go not, ahead. Just to just like maybe challenge you on that. Okay, good. I don't know that you need to know anything to understand that like there's benefit in the infrastructure of the internet, and I totally agree. That was a great comment because I felt the same way, and now we just all take it for granted. It just exists, right? And but there's still an implicit understanding when something helps you out. Like I think when you're about to sit down for some food and you're like, oh, I need a fork. Where's my, and then you grab a fork and you feel better, right? Because now you have a tool, right? And, or, oh, I wish there was a coffee somewhere. And then, oh, there's Starbucks right there, right? So just having infrastructure and technology is better for society. I think that's just obvious. And so things become obvious, but they, at the beginning, when there's a new breakthrough on something and you're kind of the first person that's seeing like, wow, this is going to be really beneficial for all these other people that don't know yet. It's like you have this secret that you know you want to go share and it gets really exciting you know and I think that you don't have to know anything about code I actually can't code either you know people always think I can and I have used to try and then I was just like I'm not good at this so I'm not going to do it right but you know we all play our part and there's a way that there's a common denominator between everybody and that's where the kind of benefits usually land it's like that's the thing that becomes just obviously what we take for granted eventually thank you thank you another question most of the people, actually 51% of Americans, don't own any sort of equity stock. They don't have access to that. They're living paycheck to paycheck in so many ways. And so how do you make this idea of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin accessible to this guy that's never even bought a stock? They don't have IRAs, 401ks, or any of that. This is like most of America. Um, so help me help them understand why this is, or maybe not, uh, good for them. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not going to push any specific tokens or coins or, or anything like that, uh, and I try not to focus on on specific values. But I would recommend uh, that you have a tiny bit of exposure uh, to crypto. Um, 
you can buy it pretty much in any country. I mean, if you're in the U.S., try uh, you know try Coinbase, try Vertbase, V-E-R-T-B-A-S-E, dot com. Uh, you can buy a little tiny bit. I mean, like if if you save, you know, like a coffee amount, right? I mean, One dollar, five dollars. You really can buy that much, right? Oh, really? You can buy yeah, $5. yeah. So so when people hear, and this this has happened, I've heard this from a lot of people, right? It's like. I can't afford Bitcoin now that it's ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. Too expensive. Too expensive, right? Yeah. You you can buy, uh, you can hold, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, less than a penny's worth of of, of of Bitcoin. Now, I'd recommend getting more than a penny's worth, uh, just for efficiency reasons. But um, but but there's you you can hold five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, whatever is comfortable for you, and it varies from person to person. And you can get, uh, you can try different ones. So if you go to like something like coinmarketcap.com, you can look at the various ones. So there's Bitcoin, there's Dash, uh, there's uh, Ravencoin, there's uh, Litecoin, uh, Dogecoin. Uh, there's lots of fun ones. Uh, you know, I'll probably get in trouble, you know, for, for mentioning ones other than Bitcoin by people who like just Bitcoin. But uh, but there's lots of different ones, and you can get, um, you know, you can get more of the ones that are worth less but that's just like you could get you could get more pesos than you could dollars right it doesn't you know it, it's just a you know it's, it's you, you buy ten dollars worth it could go either one could go up or down uh and, and it works just that same way uh i would i would recommend trying it out uh you can now you can do it on cell phones right android ios meaning apple or you know that kind of thing and and just get a little bit and just try it out play with it it's you know just with whatever amount of money that you're very comfortable with so I don't have to buy a lot. I can even buy five dollars or whatever amount, and it's very accessible. Oh, that makes it a lot less scarier. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So yeah, I won't give investment advice at all for sure either. I'll be careful not to do that. But I will tell you the way I view it. I think it's worth exploring for everybody to ask, just to practice at least as an experiment, the word investing versus spending. To your point, you know, I think everybody's fine spending all day long. Like I go grab a coffee just i think i spent like 26 dollars on starbucks here in vegas it's like i don't really have an option but like two two coffees some bananas and stuff right and the average meal is and you go out everybody ends up going to a game or a movie or something so it's not like people don't have the cash i think that they just think about spending the wrong way and really should think about spending as investing if you're investing in an apple because you want to convert it into energy and metabolize it or if you're investing into going to a conference or you know something for the experience you know, you're, you're investing constantly, and then you can look at it a bit more objective and say, is this a good investment to, for me to have another vodka, or is this a bad investment, right, depending on what you're doing. And so the stocks, I, I'm a big fan of equities as an engine for growth. It's, it's really interesting because it's kind of like every company creates its own money, but they don't call it money because it's not as liquid or transferable, but it's the same idea. There's an issuer always of any kind of currency and then there's the participants who share the belief, i.e. the people who traded something else for it, and that becomes what a security is. And I think the public markets are there for, are designed for somebody to come in and buy you know, $5 or $10 for one stock of something. And it's pretty, it's pretty provable that over the long horizon, it will outperform inflation. And I think the thing that's, that most of us in cryptocurrency that like the limited supply of say Bitcoin or something, really believe in is that you sh you've got to have something that isn't just constantly being inflated. And that just means that this, the amount of units out there are constantly increasing. You know, so when people say back to that point about Bitcoin, 
you know, another way to think about that is like, shoot, I can't, I can't get any money now that they're wanting, the bank teller wants me to hand me 20s instead of ones. It's still money, you know, it's just divisible. And Bitcoin's the same way. You could buy fractions. And I think Tron did a great job of explaining that. But the, the major difference is that the US dollar is constantly being inflated all the time. And so if you don't have some kind of investment around that, you're going to lose period, because you can't keep up with the nominal inflation rate and the interest rates that are out there and other people out there playing the game as investors and doing a better job. And so they're going to take the chips off the table. So everybody, in my opinion, should take one of those coffee lattes they're going to spend and or whatever else it is that is fun, video games, movies, you name it. There's so many transactions that happen just by that you take for granted that you don't even think about. You just spend, right? stop doing that and start thinking about it as like investing and then suddenly like well maybe i should invest just a little bit into bitcoin maybe i should just invest a little bit into the stock market maybe i should just think about it a little differently and i think that would help all of us out quite frankly and is worth looking at wow i'm investing five dollars in a coffee for my sanity and energy in the day <laughs> or can i last today without the coffee buy five dollars of maybe bitcoin I like that. <laughs> I really like that. I just bought, actually, here in the Cosmopolitan Hotel, the coffee was $6.50 for this one coffee. It was probably 8 bucks right now. We're paying. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, um, it was crazy. We're upside down. Okay, I have a couple more questions, but uh, can you do like five, yeah, ten more minutes? Yeah. All right. So, um, Tron, your background is with Medici Ventures, and Sean, your background is with Salt Lending. Like, but I'm putting on the uh, startup entrepreneur hat, you know, has it helped you come to, you know, Ravencoin for Tron and Equa for Sean? <laughs> Tron, Sean, you guys are How much of a play does it have in your worldview of, you know, the space that you're very focused on? And then um, the next final question would be, you know, like the whole Facebook Libra hearing just happened and the idea that came out um, that really hit home to me was the idea that China is investing very heavily in this space and um, is really kicking butt in so many ways. And the U.S. has a lot to lose if we don't act quickly. And that was one of the primary reasons said, you know, Zuckerberg and why he was moving so hastily and forward with Libra. Uh, what are your thoughts on like the whole global landscape and with your background, you know, Medici Ventures versus Salt Lending? What, what does this all mean? Because you guys have been sitting in this for a very long time. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I do work for Medici Ventures. It's a, a, a venture firm that's wholly owned uh, by Overstock.com, and we invest in blockchain technology. So this is using the technology that Bitcoin kind of pioneered, but then applying it to voting and capital markets and a bunch of stuff. So we have investments in about 22 companies, and I get to help them. We have a bunch of developers, great developers, great blockchain developers, and I'm just I, part of that. And then they also uh, are funding and helping uh, to back some of the developers to work on Ravencoin, which is just amazing, and, and I feel super uh, blessed to be a part of it. Uh, as far as the China thing, 100% uh, agree. So I think uh, that, uh, and it's not just China. I mean, there there are countries that are seeing the vision of what this has to offer and are embracing it. And then there's uh, Facebook, and that's, uh, I would say that Facebook and Libra uh, is pointing out, or, or has pointed out when you watch these hearings, uh, there are uh, some of our Congress critters that are uh, very um, 
I don't know. I don't understand it, uh, right? People waving, you know, $20 bills and going, oh, this is the only money ever needed, etc. They're kind of missing the big picture that, that money now moves or value now moves like email. Uh, we risk, we, meaning we, the U.S., uh, risks uh, losing some of our, uh, right now, I mean, we're talking London, Singapore, Hong Kong, U.S., right, New York, are the dominant powers in kind of the financial uh, system. We, we genuinely risk losing that power, and I think we need to uh, intelligently transform, right, so that we have a piece of this. I, I think China has uh, has been mixed. I think they've variously said, hey, we're not going to allow mining, we're not going to let it, but then uh, recently also said, hey, we are going to. So I, I get a mixed picture of what, what they're doing, but uh, they have the ability to become a new financial superpower in this new space, but so do smaller countries uh, that are adopting it, uh, like Bermuda and Malta and um, uh, you know, even some small uh, Caribbean islands that are kind of embracing this thing uh, have the ability to become kind of financial superpowers in this new space. So uh, I think we should uh, be careful. Mm. That is a, such a loaded question. I, I feel like we could go all day on this. I keep wanting to find the right time to like have a just like a really um, controversial conversation about Libra, and this is probably isn't it. So I'll save that for another day. But you know, uh, the second that a new chain comes out, somebody's already forked it, cloned it, tweaked it, played with it, and is figuring out how to like break it and do some, you know, like improve it all at the same time, probably while we're talking right now, that's happened. And so I don't think anybody can really keep up at this point with that other than the concept is now here, the technology does exist and it was going to continue to propagate and improve and evolve, period. And so we need to maybe question where we're at, like Congress I think is kind of embarrassing, but I understand on one side, what their intention is, is to say, hey, we have this shared belief in these rules that currently exist, and we've, you know, maybe it's the first time they've ever even thought about something different. They've always just shrugged it off, and like, what are you talking about? Like, no, this is the dollar, right? And maybe they've never even gone through that curve yet. Maybe this is the first time where they're having fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? I don't know. But I do know that if you look at the inflexibility of rules, like, we, we want to regulate or control this thing down because we all believe having it in this specific understanding, this rule, that we'll be better off, right? We're going we're gonna to make this hard-coded rule. Well, that's great when everybody agrees, but then I think it's worth noting, and I think nobody would disagree, that it's kind of an inefficient process. You know, in, in crypto world, everybody complained that Bitcoin couldn't come to consensus, and I look at it like, well, that's kind of like Congress and the analog of law, like it's really hard for them to come to consensus. And to go a step further on the Libra piece of it, it's going to happen, whether it's Facebook or somebody else, right, period. And I think the more interesting question is around borders, because when you have a peer-to-peer -peer transaction, it's just from here to there. It doesn't really care if there's a border. So if we're, you know, I think there's a lot of intention being put on in a lot of Let's slow everything down because we want to have all, we want to keep all these gatekeepers, right? We want to keep all these little nodes that stop things, and then we can pause and we can stop things from moving. And it comes back to this: let's keep things how they are today, which I, I respect and I think is wise. But 
we should also think about the fact that the borders don't exist anymore in a way because there's just nothing stopping me right now from sending something somewhere that I don't know where it is, right? And until there's like, until we've modeled out all of the little borders everywhere, like from, you know, from inside this hotel to the next hotel, that's like a border, right? And you go from one place to the other, have a different gift card, you know, different badge. And all of those make sense, but we've got to find a way to kind of cope with the right way to do this currency. This, this, this is just not going to stay the same, right? And so I think that's now on the table. Everybody's talking about it. It's real. Facebook has kind of pushed it into the forefront in a very kind of twilight zone way. It's very weird to listen to them all talking about and not know what they're talking about. And it's because they don't do technology and they're making the case, well, technology shouldn't do finance. And it's questions everything now, right? Because it gets back to, well, what is money? What is this all about? So I personally would like to see more experimentation in a way that people are opting in or opting out without, you know, mandate. And I do think that it's highly probable that governments are going to at some point recognize that things are not the same. And I'll give you an example. When you think about it, does, do you really think that there's going to be all these banks forever? Like, I don't think it's going to, like some people are like, well, of course there's going to be banks. Like, of course there's going to be Blockbuster. Like, that's stupid. Why would we get rid of Blockbuster? You know, but the fact of the matter is, is that just like a company or just like a government, just like an entity or an organization, when you issue something, you have like a, you have a rule around how do we create this and what does it mean? Our government creates money out of a promise to pay it back and that's the system. And then it gets sent out through multiple different rounds to different banks. And then they have the ability to print more and there's a certain system to it, right? And these are just alternative systems, but you don't actually need the, all those different intermediaries to do something when you're when it can go from one place to the other it could go directly from the Federal Reserve to your wallet and I could see other countries doing that just simply out of the fact that they recognize this is all going to get flattened down to not needing these thousands of buildings and people working and typing on computers to reconcile accounting when now we have shared truth we now have a ledger that doesn't require us all to you know, reconcile and reconcile and reconcile and reconcile and reconcile to see if we all have the same copy. That's what's really happening at a bank and at the point of sale and every one of these transactions with Visa, it's everybody's taking a second copy and saying, do we still agree it's the same copy? It's hyper inefficient. We found a way to make it work, but what if that doesn't need to be there anymore, right? And that's what people need to be asking. It's like, we're now in a world where that doesn't have to be that way. So what are we gonna do? So technology changes things. So one, one, one example I like to give is, is the, the red flag laws. So this was in, uh, in the UK. They had people who, uh, wealthy people that, that were experimenting with vehicles, with cars. And they would come along and they would make noise and they would scare the horses and everything. So they put in laws. They basically said, all right, this, these vehicles, these cars, they, these automobiles, they need to have somebody in front of them running in front of them with a red flag. And they need to have an engineer, a mechanic sitting in the back. And then, the, of course, the wealthy person driving their new, their new technology. And that kind of set back the UK and kind of like in manufacturing of automobiles because it, it became... It made it kind of so worthless, right? If you if you had to have somebody running in front of your car, they obviously have they've gotten rid of those laws now because you can you know they just don't have people running in front of the cars now, so they get they got rid of those laws, uh, and and it feels similar, right? They're they're putting these laws and things in front of it, and and they don't quite understand the technology, 
and they're putting these laws in front of it to, to say, hey, we need to know every address, every person, we need to connect their name, we need to do these things. Uh, they don't understand the technology, and so they're making these laws that don't fit with the technology, and hopefully over time they'll, they, you know, they'll, they'll kind of see and we'll kind of get rid of those or change some of those. But that's you know, kind of the stage we're in now where people who don't understand the technology are putting these things in front of it that are kind of slowing it down. Um, hopefully that'll change over time. Yeah, uh, part of the uh, side work that I do is um, I'm currently doing a roadshow meeting with every single policymaker and investor in the uh, Pacific Northwest, really trying to do awareness and education. And so, in your respective areas that you work or have influence over, if there's anything that you can do to help with educating policymakers and investors, I'd invite you to do so. Or, you know, would love to chat more about that. And then, you know, we also need to make aware and educate the general public, you know, like Jane, the, the school teacher, and Joe, the construction worker, and, and the rest of America about this. And so making it accessible to them and helping them understand how to plan for this new future is really, really important. Yeah, one, one thing that's really nice about this technology is while it may be a little bit techy, it is available to everyone. Right, so there is no, there's no bar, there's no license you have to go get. You can basically go to these websites uh, again, like Coinbase, Vertbase, probably the easiest. You can just go, uh, and, and uh, you can just you know use a credit card, etc., and, and get some and just experiment and play with it without, uh, you know, you don't have to have anything special to, to at least try it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, I'll just give you kind of something to think about it with what you're getting ready to do or have been doing. I spent about two years where I'd say about, you know, sometimes 50% of my day was spent educating people and I'd always kind of, I'd do everything I possibly could to get to the shortest path to make sure they never asked what is Bitcoin mining or any of these questions where I knew I was just going to waste all my time again. And I came to a point where it became abundantly obvious for me that talking about things to people who want you to explain to them is like an endless thing, right? You can go forever and forever and ever because you just run out of time. They'll just keep asking questions and it's such a deep topic when you get into all these different routes. And again, they don't, nobody needs to actually know all of that necessarily. True. So I changed my, my own behavior and said, I'm not going to spend as much time answering these questions because I've failed so many times. I'm just going to show you where you can play with it yourself and understand the part that you need to know. You know, I'll send you a transaction from here to there and send it back. And then it was like light bulbs would go off and I'm like, oh, like that's actually really easy. Right. And so I encourage people to kind of make to, to recognize that it's all of our responsibility to do our own homework, including them. Right. And if you are going to become an educator or an influencer or whatever, that's that's amazing because sharing information is very powerful and beneficial. But a lot of the information is already there and a lot of it is you know, it's, to cut through all the opinions and, the, and then to, to, to just get to what it actually is, the best way to do it is use it just like a fork. I could probably describe a fork to you like a hundred different ways and you might not get it if you've never seen one. And I show you a picture and you're like, oh, it kind of makes sense. And I hand it to you and say, eat your food with that. And you're like, oh, I get it. And it's the same thing, right? It's like if you have a phone and you download a wallet and you send some USD stable coin or buy some Bitcoin, you will get it. Like, you will get it immediately. So don't be shy. You know, you don't have to talk about it forever over Christmas. Just use it, you know, or don't. Either way. Well, to uh, land the plane here, thank you guys for so your time. And uh, this, I've just learned so much. Um, how do people keep, stay in touch and continue learning more about Ravencoin and or Equatron? 
Yeah, for Ravencoin, uh, go to ravencoin.org. Or if you just want to read articles, you can go medium.com uh, medium slash at Tron Black. Uh, probably the two easiest. Yep. Thank you. And Sean? Yeah, I'm probably on a bunch of places on the interwebs, but the best place is just equa.global or equastart.io or anything research equa, you'll find us. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Um, thank you to our sponsors as well. CoinMe, one of the uh, best on-rams from uh, Cash to this world of digital currency. You can talk to a human, um, use any of the uh, Coinstar ATMs to uh, convert to cash into this digital currency. Um, our other sponsor is FreshChalk, F-R-E-S-H-C-H-A-L-K.com. It's one of your uh, best friends' recommendation engines um, for local products and services. And finally, the WTIA, the Washington Technology Industry Association, bringing over 1,100 member companies together, representing the Pacific Northwest, and creating one collective voice, working with policymakers and investors. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for the opportunity to do this. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you. Hi, y'all. This is Dora from Detroit. None of the statements or opinions expressed in this podcast by the guest or its host is to be taken as financial or legal or psychological or dietary advice or a solicitation of any kind to participate in a conservative or risky or speculative financial instrument that may or may not require accredited investor status as defined by either the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission or any other regulatory agency of the United States of America or any other sovereign national regulatory agency or independent thought and rational thinking from the laws of humanity. By listening, you acknowledge that the hosts, Ari and Day, and their guests are not financial advisors or legal scholars or psychologists or dietitians of any kind, but only humans and not sentient intergalactic alien life forms. There shall be no reliance by the listeners to the representations made in this podcast as being factual, fiduciary, or any other big vocabulary word you can think of. All statements made in this podcast by any living or dead or unborn or zombie or robotic entity in the past, present, or future of the space-time continuum of the known universe are purely ironic or coincidental thoughts and opinions. Moments or observations of sarcasm, sadness, glee, education, entertainment, enlightenment, or any other enumerated emotion and or reaction experienced from this podcast are fully your responsibility and reaction that may or may not be intended for the listener in any way, shape, or form. This podcast contains adult information. Discretion is strongly advised. Thank you for listening. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Windshield Time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a non-technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin, blockchains, crypto, and digital assets for busy parents and working folks who are curious about these new technologies. Day, Ari, and their guests talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do, y'all. Because what part of your life does money not touch? This podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your total and complete responsibility, y'all. Now, thanks again, and enjoy the show.